Welcome everyone to episode 122 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Matt Addison to discuss the 1-0 Champions League defeat against Real Madrid. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, Liverpool beaten 1-0 on the night, thanks to a Karim Benzema goal, and beaten 6-2 and angry by Real Madrid at the heaviest aggregate defeat um, in the Champions League and they're out of the competition they've lost it a knockout tie for the third time under Jurgen Klopp so still obviously got a brilliant record in the competition but every time he has been knocked out or lost a final it has been against the Spanish side so that particular curse continues and certainly the Real Madrid curse continues too so Matt will start as usual with a three-yard match review and before we get into the performance itself I suppose just how you kind of feeling you know we're recording the the morning after the game what are your sorts of emotions uh looking back at that one yeah i mean it's obviously disappointing but i think it wasn't that the game wasn't lost last night was it the game was lost at anfield with the collapse i think even if liverpool had squandered a two-goal lead and maybe drawn two each last night could have been really interesting you know, liverpool i think you know played played okay relatively given how they've played at times this season and given the players that they lost but yeah it just it just never felt quite like Real Madrid last night had to go full pelt I think if, if Liverpool had gone a goal ahead I think they would have just upped the game they, they managed to, to manage Liverpool pretty well and, and just kept them at, at arm's length and I think that sort of sums it up nicely really I think my uh, my three-word review of, of the game is basically nothing was unexpected I think that that pretty much is is what I thought was going to happen ended up happening. Real Madrid didn't really have to do much more. They, they didn't really have to to sprint too many times or, or were put under pressure at, at any point. But you know, without a proper midfield, without Liverpool playing at, at the peak, I think that's that's pretty much what all of us thought was was going to happen. It was it was mission impossible. I think to to get back into the game to make it respectable. I think I think you come away and just say, well, you know, last night at, at the Bernabeu, Liverpool did okay. They didn't embarrass themselves. The issue was was really three weeks ago. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with that. I think you know my my two head review is very similar. I said um, damage already done because you know you go and you go into the Bernabeu um, with a three goal deficit. I mean, I think you know if you flip the tie around and Liverpool have lost the first like five two in Spain and then coming back to Anfield, you know you give them more of a chance. But I, I think you know especially going there. I mean, I remember seeing before the game that the the analytical odds were like five out of a hundred or something for Liverpool to um to actually go through. So that kind of says everything really. And I think as Liverpool fans, you know, you look at, you know, Istanbul, you look at Barcelona, you look at Dortmund, the other comebacks that we've had in Europe, and you think they they give you hope. I mean, Champions League, a lot of it is kind of tapping into your history to give you belief or or in set for certain other teams to kind of make you doubt yourselves, I suppose. Um so I think, I don't know if you were the same, Matt, but I feel like most of the Liverpool fans probably going into it, thought in the back of their minds, um, not kind of not as a rational thought, but maybe something could happen just because, it, you know, it is Liverpool. Um, but obviously, you know, everything kind of reasonable told you that it would kind of play out um, the way it did, really, um, which is unfortunate. But I, I, again, I think, like I said in my uh, review, um, the tie. I mean, Klopp, you heard the Shred Klopp saying after the game that it feels like Real Madrid are through. And whilst he was obviously a little bit more optimistic on the eve of the game, um, I think it was hard to have sort of any 
genuine belief. Um, but let's look at the actual performance then. Um, what did you what did you make of it as a performance in its own right, Matt? And um, what kind of positives do you think you can kind of take from it? Because you know we'll talk a little bit later about the the break that's coming up. But Liverpool are now basically going to be kind of um, sitting in this now for sort of two and a half weeks. So what is there there that they can take and, and look at constructively? I mean, it's a hard one because, like I said before, you've kind of got to put it into the context of, I don't think, not that Real Madrid weren't trying, but I think Real Madrid could have been a lot, lot better if they needed to be. I think they just kind of performed and sort of strolled through. Really, Liverpool didn't put them under huge amounts of, of pressure. I think the front four didn't necessarily work. I can see why he went for it, I think probably as much as anything because there wasn't the midfield options he wanted to to give himself a, a player off the bench if you're going to play with a two then that player off the bench has to be Harvey Elliott because I don't think he can play the the kind of Milner type role in there um, I think Milner was was pretty good but obviously a 37 year old central midfielder that probably isn't going to be at Liverpool next season is probably not a massive positive to be able to, to take but I think there was there was a couple of signs with the front four early on that you think it, it could work when they're all you know, at the best, but it just doesn't feel like any of them really are at the moment. We've seen Mohamed Salah has been a, a bit inconsistent. Diogo Jota just still looks miles off it, doesn't really ever get close to, to where where he was maybe, you know, a year, probably more than, than a year ago that he was absolutely at his peak. He's not scored a, a goal for, for nearly a year and just hasn't really ever managed to get over those injury problems, which I think is, is a bit of a concern for me. And you think that Firmino is going to leave in the summer. I think Cody Gakpo was was maybe a positive. I think there was a couple of moments where you can see what they're trying to do with him. He kind of played a little bit of a midfield role at certain times and, and was very deep and was able to, to carry the ball forwards. And Darwin Nunez was okay. I, I was surprised how um, a lot of people seemed to, to be completely aghast that he was taken off on however many minutes in it, it was. And I kind of see that to a point, but it wasn't as if he was absolutely tearing Real Madrid apart. It, it, you know, they, they needed to bring on a fresh, fresh pair of legs, and, and someone has to be sacrificed. And ultimately, I think it was was him that was just the, the most likely. You're never going to take off Salah, no matter what he's doing, because he's just Salah, and he could just come up with something. But yeah, it, it didn't quite click. But I saw enough to think that that's probably not the end of the, the 4-2-4. I think we'll probably see it next season. I think it probably looks very different with Luis Diaz in there, which would be interesting possibly for, for even the, the rest of, of this season. I'd be be much more much more willing to, to kind of judge that when, you know, he's back, hopefully when Jota is a, a little bit better to uh, or closer to, to the level that he can can be at. So in terms of the attacking stuff, there's there's a few little bits that you can you can maybe kind of point to, to being positives but but not loads and defensively it was just not a real surprise um, I don't know if we're going to go on and, and talk about Trent and, and what Jamie Carragher said about him and, and some interesting things around that but for the rest of them it was was kind of just what you'd expect really Allison, by far the best goalkeeper in the world was brilliant the two centre-backs were okay but we know that they're not at the absolute peak of their powers at the moment and Andy Robertson is it's just Andy Robertson and it, is is very good and, and solid and reliable so don't really have too much to, to say about him but yeah it, it just it, there's a few things that you can maybe dress up as positives but all with a massive caveat of if Liverpool had scored Real Madrid probably would have just clicked on and, and gone on and won the game anyway yeah this is the thing because you, you know you don't want 
the analysis to be kind of ignorant of the fact that you know effectively Real were three three nil up um really so you know if if you were three nil down in a game and then you start to play them well then you're like well it's all kind of too little too late and the other team just isn't really going for it so you got to consider that I suppose um it's I think you know I was I was watching it with with a couple of mates and one of them said um if this was the group stage and Liverpool were playing like that at the Bernabeu, right? You know what? That's actually pretty solid, um, especially given our kind of track record and some of these kind of European away games that we have struggled quite a bit. Um, and you know, before the game on the podcast, I was saying, you know, I, I want Liverpool to, you know, at least you know don't throw the towel in, um, make sure you kind of go down, go down with the fight, you know make sure you get a kind of a respectable result out of it. And I think we more or less did that. You know, I would you would have wanted at least like the clean sheet or, you know, a draw or, you know, a one goal win or something like that. But I don't think there's, there's not any shame, I think, in how last night he panned out for Liverpool. You know, I've seen some people on Twitter say there was no fight whatsoever. I don't think that's true. I think you're just up against a, a superior team at the moment. You know, we had opportunities. They weren't necessarily, there wasn't any huge chances of Liverpool, but there were openings that, you know, we could have probably made more of. Um, and then, you know, it, the game, you know, who knows, it could pan out a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I'm not angry with the players or anything like that. I mean, I've seen some people are, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm not sure um, how much better they realistically could have done yesterday with the kind of personnel, with the, the, the confidence levels. And I know some people might disagree with that, but um, that's just how I, how I kind of saw it. Um so in terms of what I kind of asked of the players before the game, I think they went too far off delivering that. Um, Performance-wise, yeah, like I say, had a few chances in there. Um, certainly dried up chance-wise second half, though. Um, it was weird defensively. I thought we were actually doing all right. But, you know, you see the stats afterwards. I think they had a sort of two and a half XG or something like that. And, um, you know, quite a lot more shots than Liverpool. It felt like there was a lot of shots coming from the edge of the box, which is sort of deceptive because... They're kind of low percentage chances, but also it's, you know, Real Madrid midfield has taken them. So it's like they seem more dangerous than they are. But yeah, so obviously um, the way I was kind of watching the game and viewing it myself wasn't entirely kind of reflected in the stats. I think Real looked a lot more dominant kind of on paper than than that. And um, I think, you know, obviously they opened us up a few times and um, obviously for the goal, for the goal being one of them. But yeah, it, it seemed kind of to the naked eye that it was okay defensively, but the stats say otherwise, essentially, on that. And um, Alisson obviously bailed Liverpool out a couple of times too. I mean, it's difficult to know how much of that is a positive because if you're so reliant on your goalkeeper, it, it, it's a problem. But I suppose good for, it's good for him in a way to um, redeem himself, I suppose, for the, the first leg. I mean, if Liverpool we're going to do anything yesterday. Alisson certainly gave him the platform with, with some of his heroics. But yeah, as the game went on in it, I can't, in my mind, I was like, if we don't score before, I think the absolute latest, I was like, was the 75th minute. Um, we're not going to be able to do anything. And then once it kind of drifted past that, you could see the players just kind of, as much as they did still try and get a goal, they, they had kind of lost their, their belief at that point. So it was a strange one. And the last thing I want to say on the performance, you know, we had this issue with the midfield beforehand, obviously Henderson and Bicester out. And then, you know, you mentioned playing this front four. I think, obviously, Klopp might have done it anyway, but I think it was also partly necessitated by, obviously, those injuries, um, which you kind of just saw the best option here is for me to actually just get rid of a midfielder altogether because I don't think he 
don't think he fancied Cato. I don't know if Cato was 100% fit. And, um, and you know, I'm not sure if he wanted Elliot in that other role. I think he was just like, you know what, might as well just have the extra attacker. But I think whilst they were both reasonable um, for Fabinho and Milner, I think we really did miss Thiago. And, and what sums that up for me is, you know, Kamavinga for the goal plays the ball right through the heart of Liverpool defence. And the amount of times it felt like I was watching Fabinho and Milner get the ball and they had runners in front of them, but then they just kind of played it sideways or backwards. And um, makes you realise that you do need that player who can look forward and can execute those passes. And I think, it, you know, it's been easy to forget the absence of Thiago because of that kind of run of, I think, four wins in five we went on in the Premier League. But um, it's been a little bit more pronounced uh, recently, I suppose. But yeah, let's... Um, you've mentioned Jota there already. And you've said that you think it was fair enough to take Nunez off. I think Liverpool were less dangerous, I think, when they um, when they took him off. But, you know, you could make the case that they look likely to score anyway, even when he was on the pitch. Um, but I suppose more generally on Darwin, you know, he came off in the Bournemouth game as well quite early in that one Liverpool were trailing. I mean, this is kind of a striker that's, you know, 85 million um, all told. And I know it is his first season, but it's it's. Would you say it's damning that Klopp has taken him off a few times when Liverpool are kind of when the game's not settled because it suggests maybe a little bit of a lack of faith. Possibly, um, it's a hard one to assess because obviously he is potentially a club record signing, and you do have to assess it within that kind of parameter. But I don't know. I don't know whether it's almost fair to, to do that because, like I said before, with Salah, you know that if Salah starts, he's probably going to finish the game because he's Salah. And that only leaves then two other players that you can sort of think about changing. If you've got, say, a front three of Salah, Gakpo and Nunes, if you've got Firmino and Jota to come off the bench, people would mm. say, well, you've got to take two off to bring on those two. If you don't bring on the two, then he's not using his substitutes properly in that regard. So you have kind of got to pick at least one or two of them to, to change things up and, and move things around. And I don't think anyone really could reasonably argue that you should take off Salah before Nunes. I know there will be people who, who say that off, off the back of, of certain games, but I just don't think it's it's ever going to happen just because Salah is Salah. And I think you've got to keep him on the pitch. And I think it would almost create more problems to, to take him off than, than anything else. So I can kind of, I can see you know, the, the argument for, for Nunes is the one that can make those runs in behind. He's the one that can, you know, without wanting to, to go back to the usual cliche of, of chaos and, you know, he, he can kind of just create something from nothing. I think that is true to a certain extent, but it wasn't as if he was really doing that against Bournemouth. He wasn't doing that against Real Madrid. He, he had a couple of moments, but so did Salah, so did Gakpo. It, it's just, at the moment, I don't think there's, a big enough argument to, to keep him on the pitch all of the time. Maybe maybe the argument is that the only way he improves and the only way he gets the, the goal that you know maybe wins a game for, for Liverpool later on and, and that's what kickstarts the, uh, the run of, of games where he starts scoring a, a load of goals. Maybe maybe that's the argument for it. But I mean even even just in his positioning at the moment, I'm not hundred percent sure that that's where he's going to end up as soon as Luis Diaz comes back. I think Diaz when he's at full fitness, which will probably be next season rather than this season. But when Diaz is at, at full fitness and full sharpness, he's your left winger. Then then what do you do with Darwin Nunes? I'm not quite sure exactly what the plan is, even in just in terms of where he starts. Forget you know how long he's on the pitch or all the rest of it. I think that there's still 
there's still a lot of hope and, and a lot of promise with him, but I think there's still a lot of questions to, to be answered as well. So, yeah, the, the fact that the fact that he's even playing off the left is because it wasn't really working through the middle and they had to try something else. And Cody Gakpo's come in and, and found this position in the middle. I don't know. At the moment, it's you've got to, if you're Darwin Nunez, you've got to get yourself into a position where you can make a reasonable argument that you should be on the pitch when Salah shouldn't be. At the moment, I just don't think don't think that's realistic to, to be able to do that well you are right there's a definitely a conundrum there especially if he's only going to persist with with three attackers in terms of you know it feels like Gakpo does a kind of offer kind of a quite a beneficial skill set um kind of improving all the time with his ability to kind of drop deep um so again maybe it's one of them that varies depending on who you're playing and, and, and kind of how you want to set up tactically and maybe Jota at the moment is the one who's going to be in that kind of um, third choice centre forward role behind both of them once Diaz is back um, with with his kind of ongoing struggles like you alluded to, but you mentioned earlier about um, about Trent and and I watched that game yesterday. I actually thought he played all right, and then again I look at the stats and I think he sort of um, he contested seven duels, didn't win a single one, got dribble past six times. I mean I've never I've never seen anyone get dribble past that much, um, honestly, but. There was some co- interesting comments from um, Jamie Carragher um, after the game, which have been kind of doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, and the headline quote from him is that if Liverpool are to qualify for the Champions League on a yearly basis, I'm not sure Trent is your man at right back. And obviously that's not you know everything that he said, but that's definitely the thing that, that jumps out the most. And to me, I kind of scoff at that a little bit because, you know, you talk about qualifying for the Champions League. This is someone who's won the Champions League, who's won the Premier League as well. And I think there's a, an element of people maybe don't grasp or maybe overcomplicate things a bit and just kind of ignore the fact that a player can be just in bad form or having a bad season. I mean, the one that sticks sticks in my mind is Rashford last season. You know, he was he was sort of woeful last season, really. This season, he's, you know, he's been one of the best sort of, I mean, it, recently on form, he's been one of the best players in the world, really. Um, and, you know, Trent is only young, so it's not necessarily going to be kind of a, a decline or anything like that. I mean, what did you think of those comments? It, 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 there's no denying that it has been a poor season for Trent, but it feel, that feels like a, a huge overreaction from Carragher to me. I think the uh, the tweet, is it CBS that he does for, for, for yeah. the Champions League? I think the tweet that CBS have put out has, has done him absolutely no favours because unless you watch the full five-minute clip, you don't get the context. I think having watched the full clip, I kind of agree with him. I can see where he's coming from. And I think I think the point that he's trying to make, and I think he makes it quite well if, if you watch the full thing, is that if you're a team that is attempting to get into the top four, you're going to have to do more as a percentage. You're going to have to do more defending than if you're a team that's Man City, Arsenal level at the moment and, and is going for the title. If you're completely dominating every game, you're having 60 70% of the ball, you're not really having to do much going the other way. Everyone's in form and everyone's in a happy position where you know if you miss a chance, it doesn't matter. You get another one in a few minutes and you probably score that. I think in that kind of team, Trent is, is perfect. The problem that Liverpool have got at the moment is that there's a lot of pressure on the forwards because most of the time, Manchester United game aside, they're not really taking the chances when they come. Obviously, the opposition is able to, to bypass the midfield so much easier than what it should be because it, the, the midfield at times is just non-existent for Liverpool. And I think 
the, the point that Jamie Carragher was trying to make is if you're a team that has to do a little bit more defending, maybe Trent isn't your man to play right back. Maybe you need a different kind of right back to, to play there. Where I disagree with him is what he said was if you're a team which is chasing the top four, maybe you need to go out and buy another right back to play in those matches. But I don't think that Liverpool are necessarily a team that is chasing the top four. I think what we've seen is that when Liverpool are at the best, they're number one or number two in the country. And when they're not, they drop down to, to sort of fifth or sixth and maybe maybe they can squeeze their way into to the top four. There's, there's not much in between. I think, I, I just for, for me, if Liverpool get the business right in the summer, the midfield is suddenly completely different. The forwards with Luis Diaz back, with Cody Gakpo for six months, they suddenly look a lot better. I think suddenly then we see a different version of Trent and we see the, the more attacking version of him. And we see the, the player that doesn't really have to think too much about the defending. If Liverpool concede, it doesn't matter because they'll probably score at least two at the other end anyway and, and win the game. I think I think the, the gist of the point from Carra is, is spot on, but... I don't agree that Liverpool should go out and, and buy someone because I just don't think Liverpool will be this team next season. That might sound a little bit daft in terms of what they've they've done and they've been so inconsistent and it, it feels like they're a million miles away from where they want to be. But I genuinely think if you put a couple of proper midfielders into that team, the rest of it completely transforms and, and no more so than Trent. I think he is is one that I think is, is much better when you can put him in a, a, a functioning team. I think part of the issue with Liverpool is that they're almost they've got a few players that I would say work a lot better when the rest of the team is good. Mm -hmm. So the problem when the, the team is bad is that Trent looks a lot worse. I think there's an argument to, to say that Thiago looks a lot better when Liverpool are at the peak. I think there's, you know, maybe someone like a Naby Keita really, really struggles when Liverpool are bad, but maybe looks a little bit better when the rest of the team around him is, is good. You can probably make the argument for, for a number of, of those players, maybe even someone like Mohamed Salah, Diogo Jota maybe on his way back from injury looks a lot better if he's getting two or three big chances every game. I think that's that's almost the, the problem is that it's not just Trent. There's maybe three or four others within that first team that they're starting 11 for, for Liverpool. That When Liverpool are good, they're all great. But when Liverpool start to, to drop off a little bit, they suddenly look a little bit exposed because maybe he's, he's kind of a, a system player or something like that. He's not, he's not a right back that if you put into any other team, he would look brilliant as we've seen for, for England. I think he's got to be playing in a functioning, well, well working Liverpool team for, for the real version of, of Trent to shine through. And I'm sure that will come back. I'm pretty sure that will come back in the future. But at the moment, he, the, the, the emphasis on him at the moment is defensively. And defensively, we know that that's not his strength. The, the, the challenge for, for Jurgen Klopp and for Liverpool is to get back to a position where that effectively doesn't matter. Yeah, they they need to get back to the stage where, you know, Trent offers offers you more than you kind of have to sacrifice in a way. Because yeah. you know that Trent is there are going to be kind of gaps that can be exploited defensively. But, you know, certainly last season and in previous seasons, he, he was doing so much going forward with that. He was still a big net positive for the team this season. It, he's very much kind of on, on the line in terms of being a positive or a negative, um, you'd have to say. And I completely agree with what the point you make about Liverpool, you know, being able to probably make a, a swift um, return to the kind of levels they want to be at. I mean, it does sound naive just, you know, on the surface, but you look at the amount of teams who are able to make, you know, huge strides. I mean, I remember when Chelsea, I mean, Chelsea's drop off in um, 
what I think Klopp's first season, fifteen sixteen, um, is kind of comparable to to what Liverpool are you know going through this season. Obviously, Liverpool didn't win the league the previous year, but Chelsea you know fell off even further, and then the year after they kind of won the league with about ninety three points or something. And similar with Man United this year, there, there's been a huge point swing with them, um, and you know. The thing with those two cases, yes, you change manager, but I don't think anyone thinks that a man, you know, a managerial change actually has to happen at Liverpool. I think it is more about investments, and if we get the kind of window that we're sort of being promised, then we should. I think the pieces are still in place, and I think you make a really interesting point as well about being able to kind of raise the collective level when you restore the functionality of the team as well, and you don't have to maybe read too much into the form of certain players this season on that basis. But I guess we'll, we'll see on that. I think we've even seen it with Liverpool. You know, you look back to the season where they needed Alisson to score a header to get into the top four. We all said at the time, and lots of of other people who who maybe didn't know what Jurgen Klopp and and Liverpool were capable of, maybe looked at it and thought, you know, yeah, Van Dijk will come back. Yeah, they might sign a centre-back. They might get a couple of players back. But I think we all knew that as soon as Liverpool had those players available, they would go back to the level that they were. I think it's the same situation now with the midfield. Obviously, not all of the midfielders are injured. It's not a case of having to play academy lads, but you're playing players that are just a million miles off. If you put two world-class midfielders into the midfield, I do think it, it will be transformational and, and Liverpool will get back to the levels next season. It's just just a real shame that they've basically wasted a season by not doing that last summer. I think if they get you know one or two in, Last summer, maybe move one or two on a little bit swifter. It suddenly, you know, this season could have been something. It would have been would have been really interesting for a Liverpool-Real Madrid game where Liverpool are at the peak. I'm not saying necessarily that Liverpool definitely would have gone through in that tie, but it would have at least made it, you know, a bit more competitive. And I, I don't doubt as long as, as long as Liverpool can find a way into the top four this season, I don't doubt that they will be back in title contention next season. I, I um, I'm... Completely behind that sentiment. And I want to touch on the, the Champions League field in a second, but just a couple more things on Trent, first of all. Um, you know, I think one of the things kind of like I said was you need a proper backup for them. Um this season we 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 did buy one. We bought a very young player in in Ramsey. He's just been kind of hit by injury. You could argue that even if he had been fit, he wouldn't necessarily have been someone who could, you know, come in for a game like this, for example, um, at this stage of his career. So, you know, maybe you could make the case that we need a more of a Simicast figure in there. But, you know, Liverpool, I think long-term, have kind of addressed that situation with Trent's just they've not been able to reap any benefits at this stage. And the other thing I'd say is, inevitably, the midfield thing is going to crop up again. Um, one thing that frustrates me about that is everyone, you know, complains, or a lot of people complain when they see him taking up these narrow positions when we go forward and they're like, get them out wide, get them out, get out wide, he's effective. So really, I think it's like it's seen as a solution because it is kind of a fundamental change. But if you actually look at how Trent plays when he does function as kind of a, a number race in the game, it doesn't look th- to be at his best there. So if, to me, it's kind of like you're just kind of moving them out. You haven't making them do less defending, but you're not kind of going to get any attack and reward for that. So it's going to be it's kind of a nothing change. It seems on that basis, but you know. Who knows? Maybe it will get tried at some point, um, and we'll actually be able to make a judgment instead of just kind of having these kind of hypothetical conversations all the time about it. But yeah, um, just a couple more things to address really before we finish. We've spoken about how there's a missed opportunity for Liverpool in the Premier League this season. You know, with obviously Arsenal being in title contention, Man City not being the team that they were. But what about the Champions League as well? Because 
You know, it's difficult to get a gauge on Real Madrid. You know, very impressive in this tie. No doubt about that. But, you know, I think they're a decent way off in, in La Liga. Um, let me just check exactly, actually. We know that Napoli are kind of a dark horse. They've got a huge lead in Serie A. Bayern obviously beat PSG um, as well, which, yeah, Real are, well, they're nearly 10 points back. They're not nine points off uh, Barcelona in La Liga. And we, we know Bayern, even though they did beat PSG, aren't necessarily at the peak there in a title race with Dortmund. Um, we've said about City already. And then you're kind of into teams who are like underdogs and that, you know, the likes of Chelsea who are sort of mid-table in the Premier League. Is this the weakest Champions League field for years? And if Liverpool were at their peak, could this have been a brilliant opportunity for them to win their, their seventh? Yeah, I think so. I, I really do think so. I think it's hard to look past Real Madrid again, not just because of what they've done in the past, but I just think they're they're a team that they've been there as a collective they've been there they're not that much different in terms of, of their team as as what they were last season i think if they can basically just let barcelona win the league they'll probably be able to keep karim benzema for for these big matches and as we've seen in both games against liverpool he didn't didn't play i don't think before in the, the league game before the anfield fixture then he comes back in and, and scores. And, and then last night, again, he didn't play at the weekend for, for, for Real Madrid. But then he, he comes in and, and plays in, in the big ones. I think they'll they'll fancy themselves to, to go all the way. I think if you're Manchester City, you look at it and think they'll never get a better chance to, to go and, and, and go on and, and win this. Napoli have got a decent lead in Serie A and could, could maybe do something. I think they're certainly one of the most exciting and, and best teams in Europe at the moment. I think whoever they face next in this competition it would be a, a big test. We know what it can be like to, to go away to, to Napoli. It's it's a tough place to go and they've got some really world-class players in that team. They've got so much quality in attack that you, you'd fancy them to score basically against anyone. So, yeah, it, it is it is wide open. Um, I think it's it's not necessarily the weakest in terms of the overall competition. I just think everyone is, is a little bit more equal. There's no one who, who kind of jumps out at you. That's why I think Real Madrid, for me, are the favourites to, to go on and win it. And, and Liverpool would have been, you know, had they been at the peak and, and had they been able to go on. Because I think one of the, the big things with the Champions League, as we've seen with City, we've seen it with with PSG. One of the biggest things is that you just need to, to have that knowledge and the experience of being able to go through. And, you know, Liverpool have played in so many finals. They've got you know, the experience of, of coming back, even when they've been behind. They've had... You know this this group have have been there and, and done it before, and I think for me, you know, obviously City will will win it eventually, but I think you know you'd look at a Liverpool or or a Real Madrid and, and just being able to to have that now to be able to to go all the way. I think it there's no there's no outstanding candidate at the moment, but I think Real Madrid, City, Napoli, Bayern, they're all reasonably similar in terms of quality. It's just who's got the, the experience to go all the way? Well, it, it's Real Madrid, isn't it? So I think if you're City, you'd be disappointed if you, if you didn't go on and, and win it because it has kind of opened up a little bit for them. But yeah, for, for Liverpool, it is. It's a it's an opportunity missed. I know City are always you know regarded with the bookies as being better favourites for the Champions League than Liverpool, but you know, history has, has suggested that that's probably, probably not always going to be the case. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We we speak so much about how unfortunate his Liverpool team is to have come up against Pep Guardiola's Man City, one of the best Premier League teams ever. But then you talk about the timing of being successful, but the timing of 
you know, being unsuccessful, the timing of your failures as well is quite important. And it's particularly inopportune this season, you'd have to say. Not that you could have too much sympathy for Liverpool because, you know, they've kind of squandered their position a little bit with um, their failure to invest. But one last thing then, Matt, before we finish, um, let's think about the rest of the season. Now that there's no Champions League, we've got a, a break until the 1st of April uh, before our next game. And then we're going to have, obviously, the free uh, midweeks for most of the season, which is a luxury we've not really had uh, and brings us in line with with Spurs and Newcastle and potentially even Brighton, because the team's kind of around us in the table. So how do you see kind of the, the dynamics, you know, in the next couple of weeks? Um, you know, how, how might this break affect things? And um, and yeah, what about the, the rest of the season with um, the reduced fixture congestion? Yeah, I mean, you can look at it two ways, can't you? I always think with this Liverpool team, they're actually better when they're on a bit of a roll. I think we saw that a little bit last season. If they can just play without having to to think about these things and they've got a full squad and they can rotate and keep a few players fresh and, and just go sort of Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, Tuesday, whatever. Um, I, I think that, that can be a little bit better at certain times. I think... Possibly the the argument is reversed this time. As we've been recording this, it's been confirmed that Stefan Bajetic is out for the rest of this season. Liverpool's midfield just completely, completely decimated at the moment. So maybe the uh, the lack of fixtures is is what they're going to need. Maybe if they can get Thiago back, we still don't know exactly the, the extent of, of his injury. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Naby Keita didn't play again for Liverpool for, for the rest of this season, even if he's fit. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain thought did okay, but is not an option that you want to see coming off the bench against Real Madrid. So they're so limited in their options that if they have only got one game a week, I think that maybe for, for once with this Liverpool team maybe does play into the hands because you look at, at the ones who are fit, Jordan Henderson, when he's back from, from illness, what will be presumably by the time Liverpool play again. Um, you know, someone like Milner is going to have to play a lot of minutes. Fabinho is pretty much going to have to play every game because there's nobody else who can play there. They are going to have to go with the, the same you know, tried and tested players and, and they are going to have to just try and eke something out for, for the rest of the campaign. I think it's a little bit unfortunate in terms of the fixtures that you think that the next three or four games are going to be really important in terms of, of what happens after the, the, the first couple of games after the international break are going to be massive. You look at, at Spurs and, and see what they do after, after those games, but Liverpool going away to City, away to Chelsea and then having Arsenal that, that, that's a big week. It, it's a big ask for Liverpool to get maybe seven points out of those games, but that might that might be what they need to, to get themselves into a, a good position. I'd probably take five points, but it's um, yeah, it, it, it's a big week, and it's a big week when you've not really got many options to change. If you're asking, you know, what will it be a midfield of Henderson, Fabinho, and Elliot to play? all three of them pretty much 90 minutes three times in the space of nine days that's that's a big ask um so yeah they they in answer to your question they could probably do with the rest in terms of the rest of this season but i don't know I, i'm not there's so there's so little in terms of that midfield it might come down to what happens in those three games it might come down to can tiago play a little bit of football it might come down to how fit is, is luis diaz and how sharp does he look can Diogo Jota score the winner against City and then get a boost and, and go on a little bit of a run? It's going to come down to, to, to little details. I think it's it's almost, I think, 50-50 whether Liverpool makes the top four or not. Yeah, and uh, obviously that injury is um, kind of typical uh, of the season. You'd have to say the player who's 
emerge because of injuries gets injured himself <laughs> and that yeah. and that really does sort sum it up but yeah that'll wrap us up for this episode if you enjoyed the podcast um and you're listening on spotify please do give us a five-star review or a uh, positive uh, rate positive review on apple podcasts you can also um follow the podcast so it appears in your feed and press the notification button too we'd really appreciate it and similarly on youtube because we upload our podcasts in video form as well you can like like the video and um, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel and again press that notification button any sort of interaction like that we'd really appreciate and if you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast or comments things like that we've got an email address too which is redzonerestrictedpodcast at gmail.com so you can just um leave a message for us there but yeah thanks very much for listening we'll be back during the international break but until then take care